Jennifer Wadsworth, and we're going to talk about Facebook today. Yeah, yeah, we got um, we got a contributed cover story from the Inlander, which is in uh, Washington State. Another alternative weekly. Thank you to the Inlander. And Jen, you did a lot of work sort of localizing this story, so I'm gonna ask you a few questions about it. But uh, for you listeners out there, we in the media, we love writing about ourselves. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna candy coat it. I'll be the first to admit it. But I'd like to think that this week's cover story, uh, flattening the news, Facebook fights fakery by algorithmically burying real reporting, is more than just navel gazing. I think it's an important story. Oh yeah, I think so. I think it also teaches people who consume the news more about to think to be more thoughtful about how they read it, where they get it, yeah, and also to support the industries that create it. Right. If you if you have questions about how the news works, this article may answer some of them. So. This article calls out the big blue thumb, Facebook, for basically putting its big blue thumb on the scale of of what you, a news consumer, really see. Because let's face it, uh, in 2018, a lot of our news comes to us through social media, and there isn't really a social media network bigger than Facebook. And and it also talks about how Facebook and the, the way that they decide what news appears in your feed sort of was hacked by partisans, by Russian actors, by Macedonian teenagers just trying to make money um, on fake news sites into and and really contributed to the partisanship that uh, and continues to contribute to the partisanship that we see in our country today. I think by now we all know about some of this. We've probably heard about how Russians meddled in the, the election. Well, a big part of that was campaigns that were sort of put out on the Facebook platform um, that were meant to not necessarily tout one candidate over another, but it seems they were meant to sort of just uh, encourage uh, division, sow dissension, and discord in, in the American electorate. So, I mean, there were, you know, there were posts, for example, of uh, sort of like Bernie Sanders, and he was painted in rainbow colors, and riddled with spelling errors and it's not that this the theory goes it's not that the the spelling errors were there <clears throat> because these were written by foreigners the the idea is that this was supposed to look like some stupid knee-jerk liberal dumb post oh right and and it was supposed to enrage conservatives there was also like a twitter account called blacktivist I guess that was oh, yeah. that was very sort of inflammatory and wasn't really run by an African American or anything well, like that. Some of these um, some of these trolls would actually organize events in real life that mm-hmm. conservatives would show up to, not realizing that a Russian and you know sure. so far away had told them to show up at this public square somewhere. Yeah, and I think they did it. On, they did it on the other the other side of the spectrum too. They they made uh, what were ostensibly conservative posts that were meant to sort of inflame liberal outrage. And that's just one of the things that we're starting to understand was done in the run-up to the the 2016 election. So, I mean, whether Trump would have been elected or not, I don't know if we can really say, but it's becoming clearer and clearer that this happened. Many other things have, have happened that don't have anything to do with Russia, just sort of the way... Facebook chose to push certain types of articles up in the feed, like back in yeah. 2014, 15, sort of the, the upworthy stuff with these headlines that were like, you won't believe what happens next, right? 
the viral content. Yeah, Facebook basically profited off the news industry and then made the news industry depend on Facebook to get the news out. Mm -hmm. And then it decided to basically pull the plug on this platform for a lot of local newspapers. Right. It's done this again and again. Like the story details how the upworthy stuff got really popular and that was what was showing up in the feed. And then then people complained and said, these articles suck. And then Facebook de-emphasized that sort of um, upworthy type article. And now in the wake of the election and Facebook actually getting called before Congress you know, and facing really tough questions about like, you really didn't notice that all these ads were being bought with rubles type of a thing. Um, Facebook has <clears throat> responded by saying, Oh, we're just going to return to what Facebook was really supposed to be about in the beginning. And that's friends and family. But in the 10 years since Facebook's really blown up, like you just said, the news has, we've come to really rely on it. And we've invested time in figuring out how to use it for them to now say, Oh, well, we're going to, uh, we're just, we're going to, we're not going to emphasize your stuff anymore. It's not going to hurt the New York times as much as it's going to hurt papers like us and smaller papers. It's basically a cop out on Facebook's part too. I agree. Saying that they have no responsibility in the matter somehow, even though they've been profiting off of all the hype of these fake news story or fake posts. And right. And so, uh, this was written, Originally uh, by the Inlander, as I said, up in Washington State, and it, it talked, the, the original reporter talked to a bunch of people up there for his story, but Jen worked to localize it. One of the people that she uh, communicated with was Aubrey Cooper of the... Uh, Audrey. Audrey, <laughs> excuse me, of the San Francisco Chronicle, editor-in-chief. Uh, what did she tell you? Um, well, she we reached out to her. Well, she's a local Bay Area uh, newspaper editor, for one thing. But also, she wrote this really strongly worded uh, open letter to Mark Zuckerberg, right. basically saying, "Hey, I talked to you before, and you seemed pretty gung ho about getting uh, in control of this fake news issue. And then uh, you did a 180 and basically said, uh, not our problem. We're right. going to go back to posting, you know, promoting baby photos.'" Or, mm-hmm. Um, so she felt like it was, he abdicated his responsibility. And in her column, she was saying that she was appealing to the Facebook's corporate conscience, if that is such a thing. And then, so that was in her column. And then I followed up to ask her if Mark Zuckerberg had responded mm-hmm. to her. And she said she hadn't heard back since her column came out in mid-January. But a few minutes after her last email to me, she sent she sent me a follow-up saying that face, Facebook's um, corporate team reached out to the newspaper saying that they were going to promote some kind of subscription model mm. and to help regional newspapers. So at the time, we didn't really know what that was about, but I think some news came out about Facebook's plan today. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a $3 billion <coughs> initiative to help newspapers. Well, in the Wired article, uh, the cover story for their March issue, which I, I we, we tried to talk to those uh, the authors, Fred Vogelstein and um, Nick Thompson, of formerly The New Yorker, now editor-in-chief of Wired. We tried to reach out to them. They, they didn't... Ha- they couldn't talk to us, but... I um, guess the story speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- that story... Uh, by the end of that story, they are sort of more optimistic. They take a more optimistic tone that, that Mark Zuckerberg's really going to try to make make right on, on, you know, for trying to make up to the news industry and, and, and also I think to democracy and like try to figure out a way that Facebook can be good for getting the truth out instead of just pushing bullshit. Um, we'll see, I guess. 
But Jen, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've been a reporter for a long time. How have you seen Facebook change this industry over the years? I mean, can you, can you think of any examples of times where you're like, wow, that Facebook is really having a lot of influence on, on this or that? Yeah. I mean, when I became a reporter, like in, I was 19 or 20, so more than a decade ago, Facebook was not a part of the industry news industry right. at all yeah actually back then they were telling us to open twitter accounts right and that was actually more handy i was a breaking news reporter i would hop on twitter and you know tweet updates and one time uh, we were covering at the tracy press a high profile crime story and our site went down because of all the traffic and mm-hmm. so we were on twitter reporting the news so back then it was it seemed like twitter was going to be the bigger thing <clears throat> yeah so it really wasn't a part of we didn't i i don't think we even created a Facebook page at the Tracy Press until a couple years after we got our Twitter account. So, right. Well, I mean, and in the beginning of Facebook, they they always had what they called the news feed, um, or they've had it for for quite some time. But it wasn't until several years into the platform that that news feed started focusing on promoting what we traditionally think of as news. Yeah. And then it morphed, like you said, to sort of make money off the news. I think they they were working directly with news publishers on these things called instant articles. What I can remember is, like, same as you, Facebook wasn't as big of a portal into news. I think I saw that start to change around the time that I got an iPhone. And I think it was around the time that a lot of people started getting iPhones. I mean, the iPhone came out in, I think, 2008. But I think people really started to get them. More and more people started to get smartphones really about 10 and 11, 2010 and 11. And then you had Facebook in your hand. And, you know, it... That was one sort of aha moment for me. Another was much more recently in the wake of the election and all the scrutiny Facebook uh, faced. We at Metro, I post to Facebook regularly. I push a lot of our articles, most of the articles we write out through Facebook. And I was able to edit the headlines. And I liked doing that because the headline that we write for SEO purposes, search engine optimization purposes, doesn't always look good on the Facebook page. And you have more places to put information. You have the headline, you have this little description box, and then you have sort of the status update. And I would think of those three blocks and what I would want to do with those. And I was able to edit the headline and sort of the the short description underneath. And I think one of the very first things that they did to try to crack down on fake news, which I guess made sense in a way, was to prohibit that i think what was happening and i think the reasoning behind this was people were taking real articles right and then giving them new headlines and new descriptions which okay but i mean can we figure out a way to verify that we're a news organization and and thought about that and allow us to continue to because uh, i just think i can make a more you know i write a headline for our web i write a headline that's for print I write a headline for the web and then I, I want to write a headline that's for Facebook because I think they're they're different. And right. that was that was a big a big frustration for I me. I forgot about that yeah. change actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean and I think Twitter Twitter had a similar issue that Facebook is having, which is the the trolling except it was about trolling, right? Yeah. People were being bullied and harassed off of the platform. Um, and they kind of shrugged it off at first too, saying, Well, this is free speech. Mm-hmm. And then after enough backlash they realized, oh wow, maybe we do have a little bit of responsibility here to mediate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I mean, I don't know what this is. Maybe I'm just uh 
maybe I'm just not as good at my job, but uh, I, I feel like we haven't been seeing as many impressions on our Facebook page since these changes have uh, been going through. I feel like we used to see more impressions. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, well, you know, don't people have to go in, our readers would have to go in and choose to see our content more? Well, I think so. And I yeah. think, you know, I think we've probably been de-emphasized even more. I mean, I think when Facebook became the portal to news, that already put papers like us and smaller papers at a disadvantage because the majority of people, even if they know Metro or, you know, whatever, you know, Mountain View Voice where I used to work, uh, if they're avid consumers of news, they probably also know the New York Times and the New Yorker and the Washington yeah. Post. And those are the articles they're probably going to click on more. And because of the way the algorithm works, it, the Facebook learns that. And then what you get is millions and millions more people across the country clicking on Washington Post and New York Times and a couple thousand clicking on Metro and Washington Post, New York Times inevitably are going to be higher in the feed. So that that was another thing that happened. Um, I think there was a botched effort to emphasize local content too, but I don't know if the algorithms were ever mm. able to do that effectively. There was patch. That was patch. a botch. I, I was a patch editor <laughs> no for a year. But when it first started, they yeah. were paying everyone pretty well and they gave me a laptop and a couple of phones. And America I got to work online. from home. Yeah. yeah. Unless. I think they're still around. They are still around. But they were like pouring money into it at first. It I know. Nice. Yeah. Well, the news is still trying to figure it out. All right. We're going to stop feeling sorry for ourselves here for a second. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to have John Dyke, our food writer, here to talk about something he knows something he, he, he knows particularly well, sandwiches. He's real excited mm -hmm. to talk about sandwiches. Um and the reason he's going to talk about sandwiches is because we have a sandwich guide in this week's Metro. So if you don't care about what's going on with the media, you probably at least like sandwiches, right? I mean, everyone <laughs> likes sandwiches. Silicon Valley Dining, the ultimate sandwich guide. We'll be right back with John Dyke. So we're here with John Dyke. He is our food writer. He's been writing for us for a couple of years now. Hello, hello. And uh, hey, John. Uh, before we brought him into the fold, he was an avid Yelper for about six years. Is that right? How'd you get into that? Honestly, funny story. I always, I was a very avid Metro reader and I loved reading the food articles. And the weird thing is at work, I sort of became the go-to guy. People were always asking me, oh, where are you gonna, where you know, where should I eat? What's over here? What's over here? And what's the side of town I'm working over here? And then just sort of sprung on me one day, maybe I should start keeping a log of, so it almost became like a personal log of where I wanted to eat, where I like to eat, just leaving reviews, leaving like almost like a, like a paper trail of uh, where I've been so I can remember. Because a lot of times we would have issues remembering where we had been. Right. So when you have the review, you always just go back and like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that place. Okay. That's, hey, that's, that's uh, as valid a way as any to use Yelp. Now, tell me about Yelp. Do, do you have like a special status on Yelp? If you do it a lot, do they like bump you up? or? Is yeah, they got that elite thing. Some gamification that, type yeah, thing? Yeah, that elite thing. But that's, it's almost kind of a joke. I just, I, I do it just for the, the badge, but. Not much else beyond that. Okay. 
Well then, so uh, Josh, our former managing editor, was uh, looking for a food writer, and I think he thought, why don't I just look at Yelp and see if any of these people are good, and he, and he reached out to you. He did. Was and that good? was, was it two years ago now? Or? Yeah, it was um, right around August of 2016. He first reached out to me, and I almost thought it was, when I told my friends, they're like, well, make sure he's legit first, make sure this is legit. So I did some research, and right. I'm like, oh, that's, the email address is legit, so I guess... And so we contacted him, went back and forth. I think my first my first article appeared in September 2016, and I've been fairly regular since, loving it. Cool. Well, um, who, who, who complain about getting paid to eat? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, this this week uh, is the first week of the month, and the first week of every month, we always have our uh, sort of blown out Silicon Valley dining spread. Uh, this week, we got uh, two full pages of... Um, sandwiches mm. and um yeah you sandwich near and dear to my heart yeah well like you said expert. that I, you, I am an expert in this is tell me about sandwich tell me about sandwiches this is, i don't know what it is i've always had this love of sandwiches and i just i i love there's just something about especially it seems like around here we have a lot of places that make their own bread which is to me the really the key thing mm-hmm. because a lot of these places you know they just go to safeway and get this and it's just Right. So many places here make their own bread. I mean, you talk a lot of the Vietnamese bakeries, a couple of the Mexican bakeries, even, you know, freshly baked right down the street right. here. And that just, to me, that, that is fantastic. That just makes all the world a difference. And there's a couple of places on here that get their bread specifically from um, Roma Bakery that I'm not sure a lot of people know. But I know Original Joe's, that's, that's the word. Well, yeah, no, well, why don't you tell me about Roma Bakery? Because um, I hadn't heard of it until oh. I was editing this this piece. It's it's literally right there when you come off the freeway at 280 and Vine. There's that giant white building. You used to be able to smell it years ago. I don't know if they've done something. People complained about the smell. But it just smelled like fresh baked bread all the time. That's not a bad smell. No, it's not a bad smell. I've, there's worse smells that you could have. But anyhow... So you can't buy it. You can't walk in there and buy it. They only sell to restaurants, even though I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you in person, have you pretended to have a restaurant? Have you falsely uh, represented yourself? I, I take the fifth. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they own, I guess historically they've always sold to OJ's. OJ's has always been one of their main people. Okay. And they actually also now, uh, our house over here on Park Avenue, they get right. their bread from Roma Bakery, and then so does Subhub over there, and by uh, Santa Clara University, they get. Yeah, them. I have to give a lot of credit to my my girlfriend Crystal, um, honey. If you're listening, you have started to turn me into a foodie. It used to be like I don't know, I I I didn't care about what I ate so much. Um, and uh, she she used to work at Freshly Baked, and uh, one of our first dates because she she used to work at Metro as well. She was like, let's. Well, it wasn't a date, but you know, she's like, let's go to Freshly Baked. I went there and I was blown away. I think you're right. The fresh bread. Oh yeah, there's there's this amazing. That's that definitely the top three breads in the area. Right, <clears throat> and um, so let's just kind of like go through this list. Wait, you, wait, did, did she used to do that little? Yeah, got some freshly baked bread. Well, for she you. has a funny story um, about a guy who came in one time and was kind of kind of prickly when he, he ordered a Reuben. And they asked him, well, do you want that on rye or do you want it, you know, on our, on our sourdough? And he was like, why would I have a Reuben on sourdough? And she was working at the time and she said, because this is why. And she did the, you know, yeah, this yeah, sort of yeah, show, yeah, the which they like to do there. They do like that. It's the eye contact that I don't like. It's that they look at you straight <laughs> freshly baked bread. We got one guy at work. He just, he, he can't look at them. He just, I, I, I can't, I can't. Uh, I can't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, they are very friendly there, and they are. Um, they are. I love them. A lot of people, uh, 
It's the same husband and wife that have been working there, and they are uh, related, as I understand, to two of the other places in this guide, right? Yes, the- Sourdough Eatery, and um, they're like cousins or, or, or related right. through marriage or something. So it's something about something about San Jose and the South Bay, some great there, sandwiches. There so is, why don't yeah. we just like run through... You know, the first one you see on page 42, which is where the Silicon Sammy's article begins. Wh- which one do you want to talk about here first? Um, I'd like to talk about Amato's. Okay, let's talk about Amato's. I mean, I just had a recent trip out to see my girlfriend in, in Philly. Okay. And I got to tell you, the motto stacks up. Yeah. It stacks up. And it's... So what is it about the Philly cheesesteak? I mean, I know that they that people have made fun of, people from Philly have made fun of California cheesesteaks for using, like, you know, artisan cheese. You're supposed to use Swiss It's got to be the Wiz. No, it's yeah. got to be the whiz. Yeah. The whiz and wit with the onions. That's the wit. What's that? Wit. wit. That's wit. What they, oh, wit. They I ask bet. you when you go there. They always say wit or without. Yeah. Okay. And you just go like, look at them like, wait, wait, what? And <laughs> obviously, what they're talking about is with onions or without onions. Okay. So that, and then you got to do the whiz, and that makes it the authentic experience. And okay. then some places carry the Amoroso roll, which I guess is shipped out from Philly. That's their famous roll. It's it's not bad. Uh, I don't think Amato's does, but Amato's roll isn't too bad. But I mean, as far as the meat and the cheese and the preparation. It's stacked up to anything I had over there. If every the meat, if every really good one has the the cheese whiz and and the onions, what is it that makes it's it? It's really- the meat. You know, they use that ribeye, and it just melts in your mouth. Practically, it seems like a waste of ribeye, but until you taste the sandwich, and it just melts in your mouth, and it's just forget about. Yeah. It. Okay. Uh, what's next? Um, let's go to oh, Genuine Heroes. Love those guys. Okay. So what's what's so great about this place? What do they do at Genuine Heroes? They make most of their meat all in house. I'm not. I couldn't. He was a little cagey when I was trying to get the source of his bread when I did the article last year. I'm not sure if it's Roma. It may be Roma. It may not. I don't know. For some reason, he didn't want to tell me. But the father and son team, Danny and Caleb, they are just make some of the best, most legit sandwiches. They have these specials uh, during the week. There's a we didn't. In, I included it. I guess it must have got cut out. But like on Fridays, they have like an Italian roast pork shoulder. And on Wednesdays, they have like a beef brisket shoulder. Oh, yeah. I should mention. Thank you for bringing yeah. that up. This, when it appears online, I think it should already it's be live. more complete, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be on yeah, SanJose.com, yeah. our sort of, uh, you know, life sister site. It's all about life in Silicon Valley and San Jose. Yeah, there'll be more. These, these write-ups will be longer, and there'll be more of them. We had to cut a few for space because there was just so much. So they make their own meats. They make their own meats all in-house. They got this the slow-braised brisket. They make their own tri-tip, their own chicken, their own, they roast their own turkey. I mean, who does that? You know, everyone, it's so easy to just order it from Cisco meats or whatever and yeah. they bring it in and just slice it up. But these guys do everything the right way, you know, if, and they're, and they're fantastic people. If somebody is going to, if someone's not able, if, if some shop's not able to make meat, their meat in house, you know, smoke their meat in house, et cetera. Is there a supplier that you found is really good? I mean, I always, and maybe this is just, I'm a beginner, but I always think boar's head is, boar's tends head to be is, pretty yeah, good. Boar, boar's head is pretty good. I think that's where a lot of places do the higher end ones do get the boar's head, yeah. and they'll usually advertise it. They'll say right. they have like signs and yeah, the meat, and they'll have the boar's head pickles and all the con. You know, you know it didn't make crap. I didn't make my list, but surprisingly, Sprouts actually makes pretty decent sandwiches. I mean, they use all the oh boar's yeah head yeah and that's stuff. The, so actually, Sprouts sandwiches and they're pretty good deal, like five six bucks or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, what's next on the list here? Want to so, fl- turn the page? Turn the page. Let's I think get, we should talk about Mexico Bakery. Oh, Mexico Bakery. So super tortas. I have a yeah. I have a story here. So oh god, how many years ago? Was this four or five years ago? Uh, I was sitting um, at Cinnabar, one of my favorite watering holes uh, in in San Jose. My favorite watering. There's no there's no competition. Anyway, I was hungry, and I think we were watching a Sharks game or something. I'm like, what should I eat? And there was a, a place right next door, and I got a torta there, and I brought it. I brought it to the bar, and they're like, where'd that come from? Oh, you know, and the place next door. They said, you know, you should just walk around the block just a little further. 
because there is there's a couple of Mexico bakery locations. One yeah, is on Santa Clara, yeah. Santa Clara near sort of down the street from Ike's and uh, ISO, and next to uh, I guess it's called Enzo now. It's a bar, and these torches are legit. It's a slab of oh, skirt Jesus. steak. You definitely split it with two people. Don't try and put it away by yourself. <laughs> I regularly <laughs> do. It's so I'm a big good. boy, and I can barely put one down by yeah. myself. It's and you're not. The rest of the day is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like. I really. I'm a. I'm a. I'm like a big burrito guy. I like burritos, and I think uh, and taquerias in general. And I think that their green sauce at Mexico Bakery is. To die for. I don't yeah. know if... Are you like a hot sauce guy at all? Oh, or? I'm definitely a hot sauce guy. The yeah. more the better. Um, so what else? I'm, so that's that's my pick from uh, page 44. What about you? You got one? Um, let's talk about Fat Tree. It's okay. Uh, they, I, guess they had, I guess their second location closed. I just found out. They had oh, a okay. second location on Mickey, which I'm surprised. But that one closed. But this this original location here on Story Road is... It's fantastic. So it's, this is a, is a Vietnamese sandwich. Yeah, place, Vietnamese. Right? They make their own bread, and uh, but yeah, they they a lot of Vietnamese places make their own bread. But Fat Tree, yeah, especially, they got the real big, giant, fluffy rolls, and they're like six bucks. It's almost like a twelve-inch sandwich. Yeah, a lot of banh mi places are really, really good deals. I mean, literally, you go there early in the morning, grab one for breakfast, and then you have enough left over for lunch. It's can't beat that for six bucks. Yeah, and the banh mi is like it's like an, a fusion food, maybe an original fusion yeah, food, yeah. right? Because it's on the French bread because of the, the French involvement in right. Vietnam, and then it's got the uh, is it usually ham or what's usually what's the meat they this the particular one that I like is classic that most people judge most banh mi places by is their grilled pork. Okay, and theirs is pretty good. The other place I listed on here, Tian Wang, mm-hmm. they have the most amazing. Uh, grilled pork, but Fat Trees is pretty good. And they have a number thirty-one, which sounds really weird because it's grilled pork with scrambled egg and their mm. special sauce. And it, most people I tell, they say it sounds disgusting, but just try it. It's six bucks. You can't lose. So I'm we had a little, you. so I, I dropped a little uh, Vietnamese on me history. I'm not a scholar and I'm not Vietnamese and maybe I'm mansplaining there. So I'm sorry if I was, but some other history that I learned, and this got cut from the guide, the printed guide, but it'll be online was uh, Earl of Sandwich is new to San Jose. It's a chain, but it's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's new to San Jose. And I was like looking it up. And so there's Sandwich was a place in England, right. I guess. Yeah. And there was an Earl of Sandwich. Yeah. And he's this is really the etymology right, of yeah. where Sandwich comes from. He he would instruct, I guess, his valet to, uh, if he's in a hurry, he's like, bring me, you know, two pieces of bread with some meat in between it. And that... He didn't want to leave the card table was the it, deal. He, oh. was, he was such an avid gambler. He refused to leave the card table. So he was like, just slap some meat between some bread and bring it to me because okay. it's something he could eat while he played cards. Oh, yeah. That was his whole deal. Well, evidently, the Earl of Sandwich, the one that opened downtown, is a big giant chain that started on the, maybe Florida... Well, evidently, the part owner, I think it's just owner and name only, is actually the 13th Earl of Sandwich. All right. Who's actually named John Montague the same as the original Earl of Sandwich, which I believe was the fourth Earl of Sandwich. Okay. I got that right. But but the other owner is the owner of Planet Hollywood. Oh. So I'm sure they just got him in there (laughs) to get the name in there to make it seem like they're legit. Like, oh, this is the original. (laughs) And actually, you know, surprisingly for a chain... It wasn't bad. I, it was I good. Went, I enjoyed it. It wasn't bad. Hey, you know, there's some good chains. We like we like to focus on, you know, the the smaller, the family owned. Right. You know, so we didn't put Ike's in here, even though Ike's makes some fantastic sandwiches. And they are semi-local chain, but they are they're they expanding are. They, they to the point been, of yeah. world domination at this. Yeah, point. they've been. I mean, they're growing because they're good. <laughs> they um, are. I saw okay. he. I saw he's partnered with Marshawn Lynch. Did you see that? No, I like because I know that he named they name a lot of sandwiches after right. athletes, like almost all of them. Right? Yeah, I, I haven't looked into that connection, but uh, someone posted a picture of um, 
Ike and Marshawn at the at the new one on in uh, Stevens Creek. What the heck is the name of that mall? Oh, oh, Santana. Santana Row, the new Santana Row location. There's a there's a you know the Ike caricature. Right next to him is a Marshawn Lynch character. So oh. I'm not sure if they both invested in that restaurant or what their deal is. Well, that's interesting. Also, speaking of Santana Row and another one that we that got cut, but only because we we just, also a we just ran it. We just ran a full page. We did just run a full but let's page. talk about Mendocino Farms oh, because I love Mendo. Wow, I, I've been I've been there once, only once now, but I, I need to go back. Yeah, we, I, we, I got, had, we got a spread, so I feel like I was there three times. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's so good, so the pastrami, good. Yeah, that pastrami. I'm not sure if they're planning on keeping it. They're saying it's a seasonal thing. Mm. So if you're in the area, rush out and get it before they get rid of that pastrami because that pastrami is legit. And I really liked the uh, the cob salad, the like chipotle cob salad, which might also be seasonal. Yeah, they got they got they, well, yeah, they have that um, that vegan one. That one's pretty, pretty. I mean, these pretty this had big chunks of bacon big like chunks of like you know i could tell were cooked there you know that day uh chicken really delicious creamy chipotle uh dressing and it was a meal in itself i think you said the 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 salad you had was also a meal. yeah yeah and then you got a little place that gives out free beer and wine samples you know mm-hmm. yeah you can you know mm-hmm. you just keep going back yeah right <laughs> i don't know <laughs> just get one of don't, each and by then d- you got a whole d- drink don't tell them we told you to do that <laughs> okay so uh Let's let's go, let's hit a few more before we before we wrap up today. Uh, you got any other picks here? Um, oh, okay. Here's my number. You ready for my number one? Number sandwich? one, John. Let's, just, let's, fin- let's finish with number one. Okay. Willow Glen Meats and Smokehouse and their sister store, Los Gatos Meats and Smokehouse. Okay. okay. Most people have probably never heard of either one of these, and mm-hmm. that's just a travesty. I don't know if they, I had. You've got to go. Well, right. the, the Los Gatos one has a much better location. It's right next to Vasona Park. Mm. So you can literally stop by there. I mean, oh. it's like not even 500 feet. You can stop by there, grab a couple sandwiches, go to the park, hang out, and eat your own. And a but, picnic basket. Yeah, but they, they smoke all their meat in-house, everything. Their pastrami is amazing. And then they have the cardiologist-hated sandwiches ever. They got a triple bypass and a quadruple bypass. Yeah, so the quadruple and, bypass has... Tri-tip, pulled pork, pastrami, bacon, chipotle sauce, and pepper jack cheese. Mm. Those are all of my favorite mm. things right there. And then they're, they don't make their own bread, but they have a really good high-quality bread. I'm not sure where they get it from, but they're, they're Dutch crunch. Get that on a Dutch crunch, and it's game over, folks. Well, I want to thank John for stopping by. I think you should pick up a copy of this week's Metro. Uh, on the cover is a story called Flattening the News, a story about Facebook, uh, sort of, um, and it's it's whims and whimsy and the way it affects the news industry. But um, you'll also see the little Silicon Valley dining icon, the ultimate sandwich guide. And these are not the sandwiches that, you know, your mom or dad mushed together and, and pushed you out the door to the bus. These are these are world-class sandwiches right here in our own backyard. Thank you to John Dyke. He wrote up most of these reviews. He is very knowledgeable about food in the South Bay. If you ever see a review by him on Yelp, you know. Click follow. Follow him. Follow me, baby. And you can follow him in the Metro because he's he's in, uh, in our pages most weeks. So thanks for stopping by, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's All a right. Pleasure. Great.
Okay, we're back. Thanks a lot, John Dyke, for talking to us about sandwiches. Uh, now we got the hit list. Just two items that uh, we think you should check out in the coming uh, weeks. And then, well, an art gallery that you should, you'll should you have time to check out at Stanford. And then a show next uh, Wednesday at Cafe Stritch. We'll start with the art show, The Matter of Photography in the Americas at the Canner Arts Center at Stanford. Jen, uh, you're a fan of the Canner Arts Center, I understand? I love it. It's free. A lot of famous pieces of art. A lot of famous sculptures. Yeah, they have a great. They have a great collection. They have a, a Rodin collection. They have the Thinker, one of one of many uh, casts of the Thinker. Several there, several Rodin pieces. Actually, yeah. I just remembered the Gates of Paradise. Yeah, is outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fun to look at. So, uh, yeah, they have the Rodin sculpture garden there. It's free. It's open most days of the week. And so, uh, in this week's Metro, we have a great write-up by our regular art contributor Jeffrey Dalitpour. This exhibit he writes about features photos by Latin American artists who are sort of playing with photography to explore a number of themes, including matter, data, erasure, copies, imprints, discipline. News and ethnography. News? Yeah. So um, one of the ideas they play with is like if an artist alters a photograph enough using digital means, is the photograph mm-hmm. new and is that is that theirs now? But with right. news, news and erasure kind of go together in one of the installments that I saw when I went there, which was these were just explanations of what would have been in the photograph, but then there was like a blank piece of paper. So the photograph had been erased. Oh, essentially. And these were like scenes of like violence. Oh, um, okay. So this kind of is reminiscent and, and apropos now of something I read just today, I think, that YouTube censors have been pulling down videos of the Syrian civil war, the Syrian conflict. Right. And, and the idea is, yeah, these things are really hard to look at. Yeah. But by censoring them, are we really doing any good? Or are we just turning a blind eye to... Yeah, I guess it depends on how it's presented. Like the ISIS beheading videos. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's Should those be easily accessible? Right. And, 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 and those then, are propaganda and videos. And what's the too, intent? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's the, the intent. intent, I guess? I mean... <sighs> I mean, it's. It, I mean, it's also propaganda when we see children gasping for air uh, because of chlorine gas. I mean, that's propaganda uh, for you know, against right. whoever dropped those. Right. It who, could be. Yeah. Whoever dropped those. Those. I guess the uh, Bashar al-Assad was yeah. accused of doing that. I guess his regime would say, well, you know, I'm. We're the rightful shepherds, stewards of this country. Doesn't mean you should be dropping chlorine gas. I think I that's think against so. the Geneva Conventions, but yeah. yeah. So I guess it's like, what's the intent? But what it, did it, the f- how did the f- uh, photographs convey that? Did they? Well, have they weren't. There were no. F- they, it was just. It was a description. It was like a caption of like this oh. person was shot. Okay. Uh, on this street corner, and with an outline of the with body out, missing with, or something. With, no, just the complete blank. So your imagination. You were. It was left up to the imagination. Okay, I see. There was another interesting installment. It was a big room. Full of photos, must have been close to a thousand headshots of just different faces, men and women. And um, I think I took sort of two things away from it. (laughs) As like a white dude, I thought maybe one of the points was I looked at it and initially I was like, oh, this is a sea of faces and I can't, I'm not seeing them as individuals. I'm seeing them as Latin American faces. And maybe that was a point because when you actually go and look at them, they are individuals, and the idea being, you know, Latin Americans are not just this this homogenous group. They're made up of individuals with their own stories. Yeah. Um, but also then, I guess I kind of thought about it a different way while I was looking at it, is 
they all we they all have two eyes and nose and a mouth because they're all humans. We're all mm-hmm. we're all people. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what that artist was trying to convey with that installation, but it was very interesting. There's some other interesting stuff that Jeffrey gets into in his article. It's uh, the headline is picturesque. Uh, it's on page find it right here and online it's on page 20 in this week's metro and yeah and on thank you jen (laughs) at at metroactive.com and then i wanted to tell you guys about a rock and roll show at cafe stretch they don't do too many of these anymore they used to do more sort of rock shows but now they're pretty much focused on jazz but dardo seattle band is coming to play with a san jose band called dr nurse next Mm -hmm. wednesday uh the 14th at cafe stretch and uh, i wrote about dardo in this week's metro um their what new does that a- name mean? I don't know. It's a nonsense word. You know, I don't don't ask that question hardly ever anymore. When I first started writing music journalism, yeah. a lot of times I would ask that question. That's and the I think first it's, thing I would think I would ask, but they probably get tired of it. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, it's, I, I try not to ask unless it's like they have a really interesting name. Dardo, it might just be an, uh, a nonsense word. But anyway, the last time Dardo played Stritch, the, they didn't like set the... PA on fire like Jimi Hendrix did at Monterey Pop with his amp, but it caught on fire. Well, no so way. that's how that's how rock and roll these guys were. But they're, <laughs> they're they've got a much mellower sound now, and I think uh, fans will be pleasantly surprised. Uh, more laid back. You can actually hear the singing now, um, sort of this alt country, slower indie vibe. And uh, yeah, it should be fun. It'll be free. Come hang out. And then there's also some more Cinequest events through the rest of the week, right? Right. Thank you. Uh, Cinequest wraps up this Sunday with the screening of a documentary about Platoon. Have you seen Platoon? No. It's an Oliver Stone Vietnam movie. and um, I think I saw it as a kid, actually. So yeah. I don't remember. Well, one thing that I had never really thought of about this movie and Richard Von Busack in... Um, in this week's Metro points out platoon really launched the careers of a lot of people. Johnny Depp was in that movie. Hmm. Willem Dafoe was in that movie. Charlie Sheen and many other actors who I'm blanking on right now were in that movie. Forrest Whitaker. And for many of them, it was their first really big role. Hmm. And, and Richard talks about how the, for, for many years while it was in development, it was very much sort of a, an indie movie, even though Oliver Stone was, was helming it. It was, you know, and also, I didn't know Oliver Stone served in Vietnam, so um, he had some actual perspective of, I guess, what it was like to be, to be there. So, yeah, more Cinequest stuff. You can pick up a Cinequest guide, or you can go to activate.metroactive.com, and we've got reviews of several of the movies up there, written by some of our writers, including Richard and Jelani Reyes, Salvatore Maxwell, Kristen Lamb, Steven Perez, those last four are our intrepid intern team. Thank you, interns. You help us do a good job here at the paper. I think that's it. That's a wrap. Jen's got a, uh, an interview to get to, and uh, I am going to go to a Cinequest event. So until next time, thanks for tuning in to the SV411 podcast. You can catch Metro on all of its channels. Uh, the paper, of course, uh, SanJose.com, uh, SanJoseInside.com, Metroactive.com, and the Activate blog. SB411.com where yeah, go on Facebook. You should you should follow us on Facebook. Try to pump up those numbers. Let's get that algorithm changing to push uh, Metro higher in your feed. There you go. Alright. Hey, thanks a lot for listening. We'll be back uh, next time. Bye.